how many of you, by a show of hands, were here Wednesday night? Raise your hand. All right, that'll give me a good idea of where I'm at with this group. Um, well, I want to start by uh, painting a little bit of a picture for you about what we remembered last week in the resurrection of Jesus. And this is a picture that God uh, gave us and through the scripture, and I'm really excited about it because I actually believe that last week and Wednesday night and this week, I, I'm, I'm, I'm hoping maybe I can, you know, like... Uh, um, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm believing that, I'm, I'm really hoping that, you know, I have somebody in my family who has a gift of writing, you know, like somebody like maybe that has a PhD and a lot of time on their hands and doesn't work for jobs and have four kids. Um, I'm really hoping that I can get, you know, maybe them to help me take last week and Wednesday and this week and combine it together into uh, maybe a small book or something because I believe that God showed us something here that we can take as a church and run with um, from, from the standpoint of, of this revelation. And so let's look at Romans 4.25 if we can together. We're going to look first in the New American Standard, and then we're going to jump to the Young Literal Translation. It says, He who was delivered over because of our transgressions and was raised because of our justification. Uh, let's go to the next version of it. It says, uh, yeah, you missed that Wednesday night. That's all right. Um, it says, who was delivered up because of our offenses and was raised up because of our being declared righteous. So I want to get this one picture um, in your minds before I continue on with the new information this morning. The picture is this. If, if you look at the, the chronological order of those days uh, leading up to and, and including the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, it says that he was delivered up to be crucified because of our offenses. So it was our offenses, it was our, it was our sin, it was our mistakes, it was our regrets, it was our shame that delivered Jesus into the hands of those that would kill him. How many of you know the Jews didn't kill Jesus? Folks, some folks believe that. Man, those Jews were mean. No, it wasn't the Jews that killed Jesus. It wasn't the Romans that killed Jesus. It was us. It was all of us. If you sinned, you had a part in delivering Jesus up to the cross. Amen? So here's the order. Our offenses is what put him on the cross. And then it says that he was raised because of our declared righteousness. Because of us being declared righteous. So the order is this. We sinned. It put him on the cross. There was a declaration of righteousness. And then he was raised from the dead. That's the order. Our sin delivered him up. There was a declaration of righteousness. And he was raised. You see that picture? Now I want to paint that for you. And I want you to see this in your mind. I want you to go there, you creative folks. Just let your mind go wild for a moment. And think about this picture for a moment. At some point in the heavens, in that couple day period of Jesus being in the tomb, I want you to picture the scales of the justice of heaven. How many of you know God is just? So the scales of the justice of heaven are up there in front of God, the Father. His son is laying in the tomb. His blood still draining out of his body. 
the blood sacrifice for us. And on one side of the scales of justice is all of the sin, all of the offenses, all of the shame. Everything that mankind has ever done and will ever do is on this one side of the scales of the justice of heaven. It is piled up, it is total, it is quantified. There's been a value placed upon it and it is there and it is heavy. It's so heavy that for generations, thousands and thousands of bulls and goats and oxen were, were killed to try to offset, to try to pile something on the other side and get that to lift off the ground, and nothing ultimately worked. But some point in that place between his death and his resurrection, there is a moment in time where the sacrifice, the value, the total of that blood sacrifice of the spotless lamb of God, Jesus. As it was beginning to be totaled up on the other side, it met a tipping point. I want you to see this in the spirit. There was a tipping point where his sacrifice became greater than all of the sin of the world, past, present, and future. There's a moment where his blood sacrifice and his payment for our sin and mistake and the world's sin and mistake became greater than all of that. And in that moment, I want you to picture this according to Romans 4.25. There was a declaration of righteousness that was made. And I can see God looking over the earth and looking over humanity and beginning to shout as the scales of justice finally begin to tip and the value placed on the sacrifice of this spotless and blameless lamb. As it began to tip the scales, God begins to scream over humanity, Righteous! Yeah. Righteous! Righteous! Yeah. And as his voice reverberates through the earth the earth begins to shake and the stone begins to roll away and Jesus victoriously leaves the tomb and he becomes the divine receipt he becomes, he becomes the living testimony that you are righteous and that you are holy and blameless in Christ and that in Jesus all of your sins have been forgiven once and forevermore the question is not whether or not you're righteous or whether or not you're forgiven or whether or not you can live this life free from guilt and shame. That's not the question. Because there's a contract that's been made. The question is, is Jesus still alive? The question isn't what you deserve. The question isn't whether you think you know, you've had enough chances. The question is, as long as he has risen, then your righteousness has been declared. I love the way this is put. We were talking, uh, I was talking with Jim Rucius uh, last night. I was here. Um, we led worship and, and uh, Laura and I led worship. And, um, and I spoke last night um, with our, our, our recovery church on Saturday night, which there was probably, I don't know, 160, 170 people there last night. The church was full. It was amazing. And... Um, we have, we have, it's not just folks in recovery. We had people that were there that work on Sunday mornings and, and uh, they were there last night and so it was really great. But um, I, I was talking to Jim Rucius last night and, and we were talking about that there's been a contract that's been made and if you've ever signed a contract, you know at the top it says it's between this person and between this person. And the contract that was made was between Jesus and the Father. Guess who's, whose name wasn't on it? 
Guess who can't violate the contract? If you were brought into the court of law and they said, uh, Michael here has violated the contract, they would pull up the contract and they'd say, Michael's name's not on it. Dismissed. See, there's a contract that's been made between the son and the father. There's a contract that's been made with his blood over your life. There's a contract that's been made between two parties. You're not one of them. You're just the beneficiary. You can't violate a contract when your name isn't obligated to it. We, can I just go there for a moment? We spend... So much of our Christian world and lives focused on sin that we forget this is about love. Are you with me here? We spend so much of our Christian life worried about sin. By the way, congratulations on opening your gym. You just opened an MMA gym, boxing gym. Congrats, man. Amazing. I hope you do well. I'm going to come in there and act like I'm tough. <laughs> Give me the scrawny kids, the ones that are like asthma out and stuff like that, all right? <laughs> we spend so much time talking about sin and mistakes and so much time being sin conscious in the church and preaching against sin and preaching against We forget this is not about your sin. It's about a relationship. Can you imagine if this act, if this was the kind of relationship you had with your loved one, or your spouse, your girlfriend, boyfriend, whatever it may be? Every time you got together, you talked about, well, I just want to let you know this week that uh, I tried really hard not to cheat on you, and I think I, I think I think I accomplished that. I did think about it a couple of times. I'm sorry for that, but you know, I'm, I'm just I'm just weak, and and I, I'm not worthy to go out with you tonight on this date because of what I thought about. And I know I'm not worthy, but if there's any way that you still go out with me, that would be great. And and then we 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 think that's beautiful because it sounds so humble and so so transparent and wonderful, and that we're talking about it and be willing to be vulnerable about what's going on in our lives and we glorify that in our Christian movies and in our songs and all of that. And at the end of the day, all we're doing is keeping our mind focused on sin and mistake and forgetting that there's a beautiful one in front of us that's waiting to encounter us in relationship and who could, care, who could absolutely care less about all your dumb things as long as you've come back to him and know that it's about relationship and he's convinced that if you'll be in relationship with him, you'll leave that old lifestyle. It's about relationship, all right? It's not about your mess. Amen. But the church is obsessed with sin. We throw entire parties dedicated to rooting out our sin. Got to get the sin out. Well, I have something to say about that. But before I do, uh, I want to show you this funny video that you'll get a kick out of that specifically deals with maybe one of the ways that we try to deal with sin and fail miserably. All right? That's not it. <laughs> All right. Richard and Pete every Tuesday would meet to hold each other accountable. Lord, bless this pastry and this coffee that we're... While their coffee was hot, Lord, 
Accountability there was not. Their Christian bubble wrap made it impossible. And be a blessing unto thine ears, O Lord. Amen. Amen. For coffee? Unleaded to here, leaded to here, six packs of the white, four of the yellow, half a pack of that pink, and put half and half all up in there. Decaf. This is my favorite time of the week. Being an open and honest with my Christian brother, I'm an open book. I'm an open e-book. As iron sharpens iron. So, how's the family? Well, if I'm honest with you, uh, my wife and I are having some problems. Richard quickly would retreat rather than listen to Pete, for open sharing seemed so much tougher. Prob the prob nope nope the problem is we have no problems. Nope nope nope. Yeah the prob the problem is everything's perfect. Just perfect. Just God love that woman. Perfect. Amen. Amen. Well, as long as we're talking, I think I have to confess some stuff too. I think I may be addicted to porn. Nicaraguan coffee. Uh, poor Nicaraguan coffee. Poor Nicaraguan coffee. Poor Nicaraguan coffee. Have you ever had it? So good. So good. The cheapest Both men would have troubles when they would hide in their bubbles. Life didn't get easy. It got much rougher. It's like the good book says, with great poverty comes great responsibility. Yeah, uh, Jeremiah 29, 11. No, no, I think it's Second David. <laughs> That's right, it's in the New Testament. <laughs> I really respect just your knowledge of the scriptures. Tell me about it. I need a hug. Hey, I got that hug. If image and pride is our fellowship guide, then our accountability is bound to be broken. To help overcome sin, do learn from these men. That was the bubble wrap. And choose to be honest and open. <laughs> this uncomfortable moment is brought to you by a sin-obsessed church. We come up with all these gimmicks to try to keep people from sinning. We have this thing that has only exists within the church. I've never heard it outside of the church. It's called accountability partners. I call them friends. You're not my friend. You're my accountability partner. Okay. 
Thank you for letting me do that. And every one of us know that if we don't, if we're doing something we know we're not supposed to do, we're not going to tell our accountability partner about it because they're going to tell us we shouldn't do it. So we come up with all these things to try to like have these stop gaps. So where, well, if they fall, they only fall this far because someone's going to be there to catch them. Instead of dealing with the root problem, which is that sin has been defeated in your life. And that we don't have to live in that anymore because Jesus has opened a door that we can walk through where sin has no more power and dominion over our life. And instead of being obsessed about sin, we can spend our time loving in relationship the one before us. Let me just read a couple of these things to you. Let's go to Romans, no, Hebrews, chapter 2, 10. Chapter 10, verse 2. It says, Otherwise would they not have been ceased to be offered because the worshipers, having once been cleansed. What are we talking about here? Some of your versions say, having once been declared righteous. What is that one time that we were declared righteous? We find it in Romans 4.25. There's a moment where we were declared righteous, and it says, having once been cleansed or declared righteous, would no longer have the consciousness of sins. Which means we would not spend our time talking about something that's been defeated. Yeah. Let me give you a picture. Who can I get up here that won't mind me messing with them? Hmm. No, I have to... Donnie Schaefer. Welcome. Donnie, come on over here. Yes, give Donnie a hand. Harvest softball all-star Donnie Schaefer, ladies and gentlemen. Donnie, you're not going to like how I'm getting ready to portray you, and I'm so sorry, but that's all right. Thank you for being a good sport. We're going to change your name to Sin. So, let me give you this picture, if you don't mind, for a moment, okay? Donnie is a stalker. Can I act this out? Yes, you can act it out, as long as it's funny. Donnie's a stalker, and Donnie's target is me. You already heard it in the video, minor celebrity, stalker. He's my stalker. Proves that I'm a minor celebrity. He's my stalker. Got it? So Donnie stalks me, and he stalks me to the point that I'm afraid at every waking moment of my life because I know it's going to catch up to me, and it's gonna, he's going to get me, and he's going to find me. So I live my life conscious of the stalker that is coming up and it seeks to devour me, seeks to get me. So I live my life with my doors locked and I live my life with a gun under my pillow and I live my life with mace in my pocket and a taser in my left and I'm ready at any waking moment to take care of this stalker that's coming my way. And I've created all of these things around the fear associated with when the stalker catches up with me. But the sheriff, he loves me a lot. He really loves Aaron. So vicariously through Aaron, he loves me. And he finally catches up with this guy. And he doesn't play it easy on him. He says, you've been stalking him, and you have put fear in his life, and he has had to live his life scared of the day that you would finally get him and find him. And he has run, and he has hidden, and he has armed himself, and he has put all these things in the way, and lived scared, and lived afraid, and lived all of that. And enough is enough. Not only are we going to arrest you, but I know the, the, public, or the prosecutor, and we're going to get you sentenced to death, buddy. 
So because he stalked me for so long, I get a first row seat to them killing him and putting Donnie the stalker in the ground. And I watch his body. I don't know why this is getting me excited about life, but I watch his body get lowered into the ground. You're not acting it out anymore. <laughs> get lowered into the ground. <laughs> He's like, this is getting weird. And covered up. How weird would it be if I lived the rest of my life worried when Donnie was going to get me? I've got this, I'm going to make it real simple. How weird would it be if I have this opportunity for relationship with my wife, but I'm scared to go out of my house because all I'm obsessed about is something that has been defeated. I'm scared to actually enter into relationship because something has been defeated and I still think it has a hold on me. It is dead, it is gone, it has been defeated and it ain't coming back. Thanks, buddy. Say no to stalking, all right? Thank you. And if any girl tries to use that pickup line on you afterwards, like, you can stalk me anytime. You, give, you tell me who she is. I'm going to take care of her, right? So, so we, take, we take what Hebrews is saying. We take what we just know about Rome, uh, in Romans. And then let's go to Romans 8.1. So we've been declared righteous. We know what Hebrews says about the consciousness of sins. Romans 8.1 says there's no more condemnation. This is definitive. So not only is Donnie the stalker dead and is not after me anymore, but the effects of him, the effects of sin in my life, which is condemnation and shame and regret and all that, the effects that sin has on my life has no more power over me in Jesus. When I believe in him, I have said no, not just I have just not received the, the, the defeat and the demise of sin, but the effects of sin in my life have been defeated. Therefore, there is no more condemnation. And I'm going to just get really, 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 really real with you for a moment, if that's okay. We, as the modern church, still put condemnation on people, but we just have changed the language. And me, your sweet pastor... I'm going to be very overt about confronting the language associated with putting God's people in bondage under the guise of truth, love, desire for holiness, all the stuff that we put on people, which is all code word for let me put you in a place of condemnation so I can control you. I, I, I've had some back and forth with some people lately and it, I just literally want to beat my head against the wall because we're missing the point. When he says it is finished, he means it is finished. And when he said there's no more condemnation, he means there's no more condemnation. What he's essentially saying here, if you can just bear with me for a moment, I'm not going to be long, but I want you to see this for is that finished means finished and no more means no more. But what if they don't, you know, fit into our, what we think they're supposed to do there's no more condemnation. And if they're in Jesus, they have the righteousness of Christ living inside of them. Yeah, but I, I think I saw him out doing some things he shouldn't. That's not okay, is it, Pastor Dan? No, that's not okay. But guess what? If he's in Jesus, he's still the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Amen. 
Nothing can violate this because he's already finished it on the cross and he didn't need you to get it and he can't, he, he can't, you can't violate it. If you've received Jesus and the promise of God over your life and you believe that he did this for you and he died on the cross for your sins, you got it. You don't have to earn anything else. I, I, I'm going to show you this in a picture. The, the story of the prodigal son, you can put that on the screen. The prodigal son, is, he's like, he's a mess. He's living out in crazy stuff and debauchery and living for his own pleasure and desires, yada, yada, yada. All the stuff we make wonderful, sweet little Christian movies about. And the moment comes, it's like the climax of the movie. You're like, every director writes and, and produces and and waits for this moment where the son finally comes to his senses. And I think it's beautiful and wonderful. I'm not making fun of that. But then he rehearses it. And he says, if you read the story, he says, I, I, when I get back to my father, I'm going to tell him, I've sinned against heaven and I've sinned against you. I'm not worthy to be called your son. And we in Christianity, we think that's so beautiful because look how humble he's being and look at this. The problem is, if that person doesn't receive the truth, then they live their entire existence back in the Father's house under the idea that they're not worthy and they don't deserve uh, what, what's been given to them and that they literally live obsessed with their behavior and behavior modification. And that's why we've created all these system and stop gaps to try to keep people from doing bad things because we're afraid of what it would look like if we actually turn them over to relationship instead of the fear of something that's dead and has been defeated. Yeah. Pastor Dan, you're preaching this morning. Yeah. This sounds like the truth. I know I'm beating something up right now, but just bear with me for a moment. And so this is what happens. So he rehearses it. He, he does it twice. He's like, okay, here's what I'm going to say. And then he goes back home and we know the story. The father's waiting for him. It's this beautiful thing that happens. And it's like the moment we've been waiting for. And if you've been a Christian for a while, you, I dare you to lie to me and say that you don't get all self-righteous and excited inside when somebody comes back and says, I'm not worthy. You're like, you're right. I've sinned against God and I've sinned against this church. Mm-hmm. Assume the position. Right? And then we're like, Listen, you just need to follow some pastors on Instagram. They're like scanning the altar like, look at them all up here. Because of my message. They're all down here. They're just crying their eyes out and their hearts. Look what a great job I did getting them to realize what a mess they are. Puddles of their tears flood the altars and make me feel like I'm powerful in word and in deed. And then we, then we kind of get used to this and we're like, well, I know they got saved last week, but maybe we can come up with something else to get them up here because I kind of like that. <laughs> Makes me feel really powerful, really smart, but they're saved, so how can I get them back up here? But maybe they're not living right. Let's preach a message on that and get them back up here again. Do some more of that crying. Because it looks spiritual. And this is the cycle we see. The whole along, God wants relationship and he wants you to live free. So the prodigal son comes home and he's got this speech rehearsed and he delivers it to the father. And he's waiting for this moment where the father will invite him into the weeping room where he will gnash and he will weep. 
And eventually the father will come back in and say, okay, I've discussed it with your siblings and the elders of the community, and we've decided we feel like your heart is remorseful enough. So now we will begin the process of reinstating you slowly over a period of time as we trust you and as you trust the process and my authority over your life, you will eventually make your way back to not what you gave up, but close. And we will have our eye on you because we know at any moment you might leave again. Oh no, that's the church. That's actually not the father. Because when he comes back and he says, Father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight and I'm no longer worthy to be your son. Father's like, hey, go get the robe, go get the ring, and go get the sandals. And you over there, go get the best calf we have. We're going to throw a party. And the son's like, but what about the whole, like, I've been practicing this, and you're not letting me get it out, so why can't I do this? And he's like, go get the robe. He doesn't even address him. He doesn't even address the fact that the son has reached this place of despondency. He just immediately shifts gears. His thought isn't, well, he kind of doesn't deserve it, and I hope he's really sorry, and I don't want this to happen again. And all the things that go through our minds when we have somebody who's living out there and going doing God knows what, none of that goes through his head. The only thing that goes through his head is, my son is home. My son is home. We don't have to rehearse what you've done. Get the robe, get the ring, and get the sandals. And what that robe, ring, and sandals mean is this. The robe is a reinstatement. It is a restoration of who he was. And the ring signified the authority that was given to that child and given to his father that was passed down to generations. He said, here's your authority back. Not some of your authority, all of your authority back. Then he put sandals on his feet and his sandals represented that he was a son. And the sandals, because only beggars went without sandals. He immediately said, you're not a beggar anymore. Put sandals on. Here's your authority. Here's a robe that you've been restored. You're my son. And the authority and the right that you gave up and squandered out there has is, is now been restored to you. And you don't have to do anything else but come home. We think somebody's more saved if they spend six hours crying their eyes out and rehearsing everything they've done versus somebody who comes up here and through joy and happiness receives what Jesus does. We're like, he really got it. How many times have we heard this in church? Did you see what's his face? I feel like he really got it this time. <laughs> or maybe he's schizophrenic and likes to cry a lot. I don't know. But one moment's not greater than the other. The point of the fact is, did they come home? Yes. And are they willing to receive what they don't deserve? Yes. That's it. Well, what about... That's it. We find, I'm going to close with a story in 1 Timothy 4, and I'm going to just push some buttons some more this morning, if that's all right. I'm running out of buttons, Pastor. All right, one last button. 1 Timothy 4, it says, but the Spirit explicitly says that in later times, some will fall away from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrine of demons. Now, I don't know about you, but I want to find out who is speaking a doctrine of demons and what is the doctrine of demons look like. Anybody interested in that? I'm glad you are. By means of hypocrisy of liars seared in their own conscience 
as with a branding iron, men who forbid marriage and advocate abstaining from foods which God had created to be gratefully shared in by those who believe and know the truth. I'm going to continue in a moment. The ones that were preaching a doctrine of demons were the ones that were trying to take part of the law and reapply it. They were smart enough not to try to do the whole thing. They just took a watered-down version of the law about Jew and Gentile not marrying and what foods you were allowed to eat on what days and you had to keep this and you had to do this and, you, and they just took a couple things that would make sense culturally and they tried to apply them to the lives of those around them. And Paul says it is a doctrine of demons. And this is my last and final point. And I wish it was a beautiful, sweet, joyful, happy one. But I'm just going to tell you what's burning in my heart. Some of what is being preached and taught and delivered out there is a doctrine of demons. Because it mixes death with life. It mixes fear with love. It is demonic and it is a doctrine of demons. And if you listen to somebody and you leave that book or that sermon or that song or whatever it is and you feel more fearful and less alive than you did when you entered it something is wrong you need to throw it out it is not the doctrine of heaven and it is not the finished work of the cross because Jesus came to give life and life more abundantly the reason I'm preaching this this morning is because I see a wave I'm going to end I promise you I, I see a wave of unchurched people who don't have a grid for the things of God because what has been represented to them has been so wrong that they have turned their back not on God, but they've turned their back on the representation of God that's been made to them. I am so hopeful because I hear the sound of an entire generation of people that are out there, hundreds of thousands in our own county alone, who are not attending a church, not because they hate God, but unfortunately they can't stand the way he's been represented to them. And God is goodness and kindness and God is love and God is a God of life. He's come to give it to us more abundantly. And if we would represent him that way, the building we're getting ready to build would be too small. So I'm going to be very, very, very overt and upfront and unapologetic about who we are. And if you don't like it or somebody doesn't like it, that's okay. Because I see the hundreds of thousands of people within driving distance of us who desperately need to hear the truth about God and his love for them. And I am determined in my heart to get it out there and to stop well I know but if you preach that you know maybe someone will think you're you don't agree with them well I don't I want to say that unequivocally I don't agree with everyone in town here who calls themselves a pastor I don't and I believe that they're pure hearted and I believe that they feel like they're doing the right things but some of them are preaching a doctrine of demons I said it. Lord have mercy. This is when I should have been cut off. Because people are miserable. 
And they're full of anxiety and worry and shame and guilt. How can you say after someone's been 25 years in your church and they're the most miserable creature that's walking around the streets of Sarasota that you're preaching the doctrine of life and love and God? I I, I don't know how you can say that. And so my heart is this. My heart is that we as a church would represent God in its truest form and what he's done on the cross and say, whosoever will let him come and whosoever will let him come and receive all that Jesus has done and walk through the doors of righteousness and receive his love and his life more abundantly. That's my heart. Somebody texted me after the first service and they said, you're right on the money, blah, 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 blah. It was wonderful encouragement. They said, this is going to tick off a lot of people. And I was like, yep. (laughs) Yep, not here. Y'all have weathered the storm, all right? (laughs) You have weathered the storm. You deserve a badge. It's going to tick off a lot of people. And I thought, yeah, there might be 10 or 15 or 20 grouchy people in town that don't like it, but there's thousands of people in this town who need to hear the truth. And I'm not going to allow the 10 or 15 or 20 grouchy people to control me or the message. And you know what's funny? Those 10 or 15 or 20 grouchy people, oftentimes they have money and they use it to control churches. And they use it to control pastors. You know what I love? We have a couple folks around here that have more means than others. And I have never once, and the folks that are here that are part of our tithing base, had one of them come to me and say, I think you should do this. That's unheard of. The fact that we are supporting ourselves and we don't have people here that are trying to control with their money what's being put out there and have actually bought into the vision and say, yeah, you're a little nutty, but I really like nutty. And so I'm going to keep giving it. That to me is so beautiful and such a picture of what the kingdom of God is going to look like going forward. Come on, people join together and giving what they have and throwing in their resources, their talents, their time, whatever it may be, so that we can get together and declare the righteousness of God over our city and over our community and give people an opportunity to encounter what we've encountered. I could preach all day, but I'm going to end now. Y'all got me today? All right, good. Let's pray quickly. It's a little later than normal, sorry. Little soapbox today. All right, Father, we thank you. We bless every person here. God, we love you. Our hearts for you are just exploding at the expectation of what's to come for tomorrow. And so, God, this is not a Pastor Dan thing. This is not a Pastor Jim or Peggy thing. This is an us thing. This is our time. This is our season. This is our moment to become a messenger of all that you've done and the finished work of the cross. Your grace poured out. Let us become the messengers that we would tell everyone we know about what you're saying and what you've done. Tell everyone we know that you've been lied to. It's not true. He loves you. He's waiting for you to come home. He's waiting with a robe. He's waiting with a ring. He's waiting with sandals. He's waiting with a party to embrace you. Because all he cares about is staying in relationship with you. Will you just come home? Let that be the message that resonates in our hearts and our lives and who we talk to and the way we live. We thank you in Jesus' name. And everyone says? Amen. All right, love you guys. Take it easy. Y'all are the best. We'll see you Wednesday night. Go get them.